Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences, as well as current and long-term goals, and what gets them through the ups and downs. If you enjoy the show, please rate and subscribe. And don't forget to visit my website, jparkerfitlife.com, for access to my Instagram account, blog, and more. Hi guys, welcome back to the What's Your Story podcast. This is Jake Parker. My guest today is Lawrence Neal. He is the owner of High Intensity Business. Uh, The way I found out about Lawrence was I was actually looking around on the internet for some interviews with uh, Dorian Yates. So I was kind of studying some of the things that he did and some of the ways he worked out. And so I found your guys' podcast and then thought that you sounded interesting, so I thought I'd try to have you on the show. So, uh, Lawrence, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, kind of talk about what it is that you do with your business? Yeah, sure. Uh, Firstly, Jake, thanks for having me on your show. Really appreciate it. Uh, Very interesting to hear how you came across, uh, obviously, my my work via my podcast with Dorian, uh, which was a a long time coming and a great moment for sure. so yeah, I mean, you, you said some of it already, but uh, I am a founder of a business called High Intensity Business, uh, which was formerly known as Corporate Warrior, recently went for a rebrand to make sure that the, the company name was more on topic. Um, and what we do at High Intensity Business effectively is help people grow their fitness business. And we specifically work with high intensity training businesses. So they're a bit of a niche community in the fitness industry. Uh, but effectively, they are business owners who have studios, typically boutique studios. There are some uh, large chains, but the majority are you know, one, one or two locations. Um, and they specialize in high intensity strength training, which... Some people will know of, uh, depending on the, the kind of level of knowledge in this industry, but they might have heard of it through Dorian Yates, uh, who actually did a uh, really his own version. It wasn't necessarily traditional high-intensity training. Um, and the, I guess the, the source of it all kind of came from Arthur Jones, who helped popularize it back in the 70s. Um, but to put it in a, a few words, it's generally training uh, brief infrequent uh, and with a high degree of intensity so typically like a single set to failure not all the time but that's what most will advocate versus the mm-hmm. the kind of more traditional multi-set approach um and i i just noticed that in my journey with this blog and podcast and business that there was you know i've always been entrepreneurial minded and always looked out for what opportunities are available and i could see that there was no one really helping these businesses specifically because there's mm-hmm. lots of online communities and memberships that help fitness businesses, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, just have to put the hashtag fit pro into Instagram and there's loads. Um, but I couldn't see anyone who was really helping the high intensity training community where I had developed quite a bit of a good reputation and foothold within. So it kind of made sense for me to see mm-hmm. if there was, um, appetite for that, which there was. Um, and so it's a, you know, healthy five figure business that continues to grow and I'm very passionate about it. Um, I'm passionate about growing it and, you know, I've become quite obsessed with my customer, which sounds a bit cliche, but I assure mm-hmm. you it's and, uh, and, and yeah, and so with that, the podcast is really my means to um, help educate my audience, educate my client base, um, and obviously help promote the membership as well and, and continue talking about things like high intensity training and, and hit business. Um, so yeah, hopefully that kind of answers the question as yeah. to, you know. Yeah, so, so where are you located at exactly? 
Galway in Ireland at the moment. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I live originally from the UK. Okay. And so are your clients international or? Yeah, international client base, but primarily US. So okay. I would say 80 plus percent are uh, based okay. in America. Yeah. Okay. I think that's interesting how you talked about, you know, that really is such a niche for a business. Did you, when you were thinking about, I guess, just for starters, you said you've always been entrepreneurial minded. So when did you think about starting your own business? And then how did that transformation go to being such a specific niche? Did you consider being more uh, broad at first or how did that all come about? Yeah. So when I say I've been entrepreneurial minded, it doesn't mean I've been a successful entrepreneur at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So during my twenties, I I really spent my twenties trying to figure it out. You know, so I was, I'm in my early thirties now. Um, and I had tons of uh, ideas that I tried to turn into different types of businesses online and they never worked out. Um, partly that was due to a bad idea or a lack of passion and endurance, mm-hmm. sometimes a bit of both. Um, and yeah, I came across this idea of, of, I think, niching down and creating a niche business through the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Oh, okay. He really made that, I think, quite popular and more mainstream, that kind of strategy, I think. Um, but I, I didn't always practice what I preach. I, I actually it took me a while until I niched down to what I'm doing now. Um, and when I actually started the podcast, I really was creating content on the podcast and the blog just because I was passionate about this type of exercise that I'd only just discovered. So I came from a background of doing high volume, you know, a lot of exercise, mm-hmm. you know, training sometimes twice a day, every day. Um, and it was really profound to me when I started learning about, oh, hang on, exercise is a stimulus, it's a stress, you know, mm-hmm. it's the body that produces the improvement, it's not the exercise itself. And so if you do, I mean, I know I'm teaching you to suck eggs here, because I know you know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I guess more for the listeners. Um, and so by kind of tapering it down, um, and then realizing that I could be more efficient and more productive was quite profound to me. And I've always been a bit of a nerd for productivity in all aspects mm-hmm. of life, whether it's lifestyle, business, or fitness. Um, and so with that, I, the podcast kind of became this mess to start with. It was very broad, right? Mm-hmm. So the topic was, um, was just productivity in all aspects. And, you know, that actually worked quite well. Um, you know, I managed to get a, a, a fair number of downloads on a monthly basis doing that. Um, and I actually, I actually be quite uh, transparent about this because I think it's very useful and it might be useful to you as well, Jake. Um, you know, I got it to the point where it's doing 30,000 downloads a month, right? Mm-hmm. Which sounds pretty good. And, and, and in podcasts, it's probably in the top, I don't know, 10% or something like that. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I'd guess it's around that. Um, and what I noticed is, is my original strategy was, right, I'm going to just keep going with this broad topic, you know, and I'm just going to continue to grow the downloads. Um, and I had this kind of fantasy in my mind that it was going to become like, you know, a Joe Rogan or a Tim Ferriss podcast, right? Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't get it to grow beyond that. It just, because mm-hmm. you know, I kind of thought like I'm kind of trying to compete with someone like a Tim Ferriss because Tim Ferriss' mm-hmm. podcast theme is very much productivity um, is a big part of what he does. So I felt like I was trying to compete with him and he already had that niche. He had that mind space. Um, and so that strategy of trying to, generate enough revenue for the business to work just for your sponsorship with that number mm-hmm. of downloads going to be, wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to be sustainable. Um, and so I had to pivot. I had to rethink everything. Um, and the podcast had kind of been heading down the channel of doing more content on high intensity training anyway. 
um, because I'd kind of started to niche down in that area anyway. Um, but I needed to figure out another way to build a business around, around this. And that's why I came up with a membership, which is an online platform behind the podcast where, right. uh, clients get access to private content, which is more modular based. So it's like how to do X and like mm-hmm. blueprints for various aspects of the business. Uh, this community. So you know, high caliber people helping each other grow their business, um, which is very valuable to people who don't know what they're doing or need help. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like monthly Q and A's and then there's like private coaching from me as well. So that's the offering. And what's very interesting is when I niche down, right. To just focusing on hit and hit business, my downloads dropped and they stayed at a flat 15,000 a month for, you know, as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is the, the number of total downloads is really irrelevant because what matters is how many of those people actually turn into, obviously this depends on your goal. If you're, if you want to yeah. build a business and that's a different objective, but my objective was to uh, build an actual business and provide for mm-hmm. my family and have the ability to grow and, and to reinvest and, you know, make a big impact in that sense. Um, and so I found that you know, the number of downloads is almost irrelevant because it's really how many of those convert into actual customers. You mm-hmm. know? And it's great. I should also say it's great to know that I'm influencing a, a large number of people. But at the end of the day, I have bills to pay. You know, I yeah. have other, other goals and I need revenue to do that. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of my time is spent trying to create this great product behind it. Um, and so that was a big wake up call for me because then I started seeing all these things on Instagram, you know, likes, followers, various social media platforms. It's just vanity. Mm-hmm. So they're not that important yeah. in terms of my objective. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how it evolved from being broad, high level to now very niche. Yeah. I think that there's a big difference between people that are active and passive that are following your work. And I think that that's really important to note too. And like you say, it's all about your objective, but I, I definitely resonate with the fact that it seems like a lot of times, especially maybe when someone's starting out with trying to build something online, whether that's a podcast, blog, Instagram, whatever, a lot of times they just want to get the maximum amount of likes and engagement and whatever. But it's like how many of those people really care and really want to, you know, get to know you and have more of your work and stuff like that. Yeah, completely. And it's like you're trying to get social approval. I mean, we all, it's like human nature almost. Like yeah. you feel... You, you feel accepted, you feel, you feel validated. You know, it's funny. I have a very a big cohort of my listenership who just love high intensity training, their health mm-hmm. and fitness nuts, but they have no um, plans or desire to create a business. And that's totally fine. And, uh, you know, I like engaging with these people. We share emails. I learn a lot from them um, and I enjoy providing value to them, but it's not my primary objective anymore. Like mm-hmm. if they still get value out of what I put out, that's great. But the primary uh, focus is on helping my target market who are the high intensity training business owners. Right. And the, and the, yeah, I suppose first and foremost then, but also the fitness business owners who may end up deciding to build some kind of similar business themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of hard to do that because you're like, Oh, I'm going to let all these people down. Right. But mm-hmm. you know, that's silly. And that's probably not the right mindset. Um, so, you know, I know we might touch on this later, but, um, you know, I've been thinking about kind of short, medium, long-term goals, you know, in relation to your email. And, uh, you know, I do have plans at some point, which I don't know when this is going to happen to create a second show, um, which will be a bit more Joe Rogan-esque. I'm just going to go for it, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it will be just very, very broad. So it won't just be productivity. It will be, you know, philosophy, my other interests, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, just all sorts. Um, but I have no idea when that's going to happen. So too much. Yeah, that's funny that you say that. Those are like by far my two favorite podcasters too, is Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss. Because I think that it's interesting how they, I think that a lot of people wouldn't really say first off that they're similar, but I think they're similar in a lot of ways just because they're so open-minded and curious. And I think that that's why they're so successful in podcasts because you need someone who's just going to ask interesting questions and really just above all, I think just be engaged because you can ask the best questions. You can have the best dialogue, but if you're not truly engaged on an internal level, I think that that always comes through. Yeah, completely. I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think authenticity is, is key. Um, I think you, at the end of the day, you should be doing this because you want to do it and because you enjoy it. And if you're not enjoying the conversations, then what's the point? You know, even if, you know, there are some exceptions to that. And I, I mean, I do. So sometimes I will create content, but which is, so let me backtrack. So sometimes I'll create content that I know is very, very helpful to people, but I might not be personally really invested in the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still get a thrill out of knowing that it's going to help other people. So yeah. I'll still be more invested because I know that, oh man, if I can ask all these questions, get all this great content, this is going to be so useful to people. So mm-hmm. that actually does inspire me, which is weird. Um, but that's, that makes sense. that's an exception to that rule, I would say. But, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely had the, the podcast before. I think any podcast who's done over 200 episodes, you've had a podcast mm-hmm. where it's, you're just not really feeling the topic and you're mm-hmm. kind of forced yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to take a step back and reevaluate in those moments. Mm-hmm. And it's all about perseverance too. I mean, it's just like with anything, I think that the interesting thing about creative work, if you just put it under that broad umbrella is it's like, you still have to realize that it's work and in your situation, uh, you know, it's still a job and you have to go in and do your best no matter if you're feeling it or not, even though it is a passion that you have, it's not like every single day you're going to be a hundred percent excited and 100% internally motivated, but you just got to be consistent with it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, this is, I agree. And this is going to contradict a little bit of what I said, but I remember Seth Godin said, I think it was in his book, This Is Marketing. He said, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're a professional. So this is to your point. Um, you know, there are days when maybe you've got something scheduled, uh, mm-hmm. some, some, some work, some content you're doing for people, um, and you might not be feeling it. And it's like, no, you, you be a professional, you show up and you do your job, you know? Mm-hmm. And I do kind of like that because I like that kind of, sense of responsibility i find that quite inspiring it's like um you know i've definitely had a few podcasts recently where i've been like feeling quite lethargic and kind of secretly hoping that um someone's knocking at the door but they can just be ignored um so secretly kind of hoping that that individual's going to um uh going to bail on me you know and and you know, and then, and more recently, I'd say within the last kind of six months to a year, when I've had those moments, I've been like, no, you know, people are going to tune into this and they're going to expect mm-hmm. a high quality and I'm going to bring it regardless of how I feel and just leave it all on the table. And that's, yeah, that's the attitude I have now. Yeah. So. Yeah. It makes me always, are you familiar with Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art? I am familiar with him and his book, but I have not read The mm-hmm. War of Art. That's I, just I mean, what it. Yeah, that's just what it reminds me of, because he always talks about things along the same lines, just the fact that, especially I think that writers face that he calls it the resistance, you know, to, and especially in the context of he's a writer and talks about writers, it's like, you know, you have something to write, and you know, you can do it, but you still have to show up, you know, sit down and write, even though, and it's just almost a paradox and contradictory, 
to what people view as like, oh, an artsy person that's a creative and a writer. They just kind of do it when they want to and when it comes to them. But he's like, no, you really have to sit down and focus on getting it done. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, and maybe doing it in piecemeal, you know, like uh, I think it's Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, if we're talking about writing, you know, or blogging. Um, I think Tim Ferriss talks about this as well. It's like just one shitty page a day, you know, uh -huh. just tiny, tiny steps like that. And then some days you'll do a ton and other days you'll just hit the quota. But it, it's, I think that's important. So I agree. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I was wondering, uh, based on the things we've talked about, you've obviously had some some good times and some bad times. And, you know, when you've known that you had to switch gears and you know that something's not working or, you know, probably you would even call some of the things you, you did ended up being failures. How, how do you persevere and how do you go on to the next idea and just, you know, stay stay positive with yourself and just continue to push on? I think for me, and I can only really speak for me, um, I just could not imagine the opposite. So when I think of working in a nine to five um, for the rest of my life, I just thought, you know what, it's not what I want. And I would sooner pursue something I'm passionate about and something I have my own you know, control over mm -hmm. um, for my entire life then settle into a nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, and just because I wanted it more, um, I was just never going to give up, you know, like, I mean, I had moments where I was lazy and unproductive, but you know, I, I, it's the, the, the pain of not doing was, was worse than the pain of doing. And it's just, that's mm -hmm. the same with all, a lot of things, isn't it? You won't give up certain addictions until you realize that, or, or you come to the realization that you'll be better off without it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or like, you know, whether it's like eating junk food or drinking alcohol, it's the same, I think it's the same, a, set, a similar thing, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I had, I had a bunch of failures, bunch of, uh, bunch of blogs that never worked out stuff I'm embarrassed about now. Right. Yeah. But that's, you know, you grow up and you mature and you look back and you go, wow, I was, you know, hopefully I'm not so stupid now. Um, yeah. and yeah, a lot of them were, were dramatic. I mean, the amount of work that went into some of these things that never really worked out. Um, and, but obviously it's not a complete waste of time because, you know, I learn a hell of a lot. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that one thing that kind of gets lost sometimes is that all experience is, is good experience to an extent. If you're really working hard on something and putting your full effort into it, even if it winds up being not something that works out long-term, just the experience of trying hard at something, putting your skills to the test. I think that always is going to be beneficial no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, completely. So it's a great mentality because then, you know, there's never any um, out and out failure, right? Mm -hmm. There's something, there's some growth happening here. There's something that's going to be, you know, used later in life that's going to be useful, you know? Uh, so it's a great perspective to have and it's, you know, it's true. So yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Did you ever have any big clarifying moments where, I mean, I'm thinking along the lines of maybe a clarifying moment that told you you needed to switch gears or maybe a moment that really told you that, you know, you thought you could make it as an entrepreneur. Are there any memorable moments in, in your career? Um, 
oh, there's probably a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had a lot of aha moments lately. Uh, it's probably a, it's probably a whole bunch that I had in my twenties. Um, realizations, things like that. Um, but I can tell you a couple recently that were quite profound. Mm-hmm. Um, so one was what I told you just now about audience size versus number of customers, yeah. right? So people, and you'll probably be familiar with the 1000 true fan concept. That yeah, came. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a great model. And that's very true. You know, if you could have a thousand people paying you, what is it? 60, $60 a, a year, you know, you're mm-hmm. making, uh, what's that? 60,000 a year. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, you know, an okay income, um, depending on where you live. And, uh, you know, you, that is obviously only a starting point. You know, if you've got a hundred customers paying you thousand dollars a year, then that works, that works out well too. Um, and so it, it was, you know, it, it's different having read that and thought, wow, that's interesting. But now actually having done that, actually having built a small client base of people that pay monthly, mm-hmm. um, makes me realize that, wow, you can build a business and literally have 100, 200, maybe even less customers. And so long as you're, you do a good job of retaining them and mm-hmm. providing a lot of value, that's all you actually need to make a living. Um, and in some cases a very good living. And so that was a real aha moment. Um, and something I will take forward in any future venture knowing that, um, secondly, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. The other one was reading the E-Myth revisited, um, best business books I've read in a long time and just highlighted to me or reminded me, I should say, um, that businesses are, in a big way, simply a collection of systems that work together mm-hmm. that are very symbiotic. You know, your, your operations, your retention, these different systems are your marketing and vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're trying, especially when you're building a business online, which you want to, if you're going down the, the path of looking to leverage the internet and free your time so you're not spending a ton of time managing your business on trading time for money, mm-hmm. then it's the best way to go about it because then you build systems that work for you while you sleep. You know, yeah. good example is, uh, you know, when I first started this business, I was selling manually. So I would literally cold call people, you know, who probably were familiar with my podcast because we're all in this tiny community together. Mm-hmm. Um, or I would, DM them on Instagram or email them and say, Hey, do you want to join? You know, this is the benefits, blah, blah, blah. And uh, that worked quite well. But then as time went on, it became a very laborious um, mm-hmm. and not very enjoyable. And so what I have now is a system, which is just a, simply a, a traffic email system. So when people come to the website um, and they listen to the podcast, they will eventually probably see the, the membership page and they'll join the waiting list. And then, um, there's an email sequence that goes out when spaces are available and then they can join up through that sequence and mm-hmm. it's completely automated. Um, but it took me a while to build that system. You know, yeah. I don't know how to do that. That was hard. I had to hire some help. Um, and then, and I'm so glad I went through that process. And now it's like, now my focus on this business is very much working on the business rather than in the business mm-hmm. and making sure that if I can just implement one system like that every two weeks, you know, within a year you've, or every week, let's say within a year, you've got, you know, 30 to 50 systems that run your business for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of something that Mike Matthews said once it, it was essentially, you know, do you, are you familiar with his work at all? Muscle for life and Legion athletics. 
I, I'm, I know his name, but I don't know his work. Yeah, I wrote the Bigger, Leaner, Stronger books. But anyway, he, uh, he said that essentially, you know, running a business is very similar to him in building a great body because it's not easy and it takes a lot of hard work and dedication, but there's definitely a blueprint and there's a way to go about it that's you know you're going to be successful. And it is a little bit different in business where it's, you know, you can never say you know you're going to be successful with something, whereas given given the right nutrition and fitness uh, exercise principles, you know you can be successful, but it's just similar along those lines. And that just, yeah, that's so- just what it reminded me of when you're talking about just building systems. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, obviously, there's, there's, I suppose there's more variables with business mm-hmm. that are outside your control, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. what you were kind of alluding isn't it um but yeah i think he's uh i think he's spot on um just trying to think you know those were quite recent um trying to think of some some kind of aha moments i had can't think of any right now but if any come to mind um earlier on in the the journey then i'll let you know yeah another thing i was curious about was so uh the podcast that you have now is that did you did you start new or like are your earlier episodes just more based on productivity and stuff like that and then you kind of switch gears in the same podcast great question great question because i you might be like me and a bit of a perfectionist and you want everything to be aligned and orderly and all that so the question the the answer is uh i actually just didn't i just uh i didn't start fresh i just refined Mm-hmm. And I think that's totally cool, you know, and um, so what if someone, you know, I've got some podcasts earlier on in my, uh, in my kind of um, roster, if, probably a better word for that, um, which are, are almost totally irrelevant to my current brand. Um, and, you know, maybe that's problematic and a bit confusing, um, yeah. but there's a, there's a few of those. There's a few of those, but the majority are like tangentially related stuff that I wouldn't publish now, but are okay. Um, and I just think, you know, for instance, if you look at, uh, if you look at Rogan and you look at his YouTube channel and you go to like episode one and you oh. look at, just look at his thumbnails. So if you look at the thumbnails on YouTube and how awful they are at the beginning and how over time it just got better and better. And if you look at the last 500, they're all like, you know, he's got the, the, the photo of two people sitting across from each other and then the episode number and then the guests in big font in white on the front. Like mm-hmm. that's, he's now, obviously that's different. We're talking about branding as opposed to everything. He's just, you know, it's just branding. He's always been kind of very broad topics, but mm-hmm. that's an example of, I think we, we worry, a lot of us entrepreneurs worry about um, everything has to be consistent and perfect, but really this is just about getting better over time and just refining over time. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about that and I'm just looking mm. forward now. Um, so yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. yeah. And you're just, you know, you're always constantly learning too. So it's just kind of like you said, I, I feel like I read this or heard this from some, someone somewhere, but uh, along the lines of saying like, you're almost kind of embarrassed about some of the things that you put out a number of years ago. And I think essentially what I was getting at is that, I've heard the, the, the notion that like, if, if that's not happening, then you're probably doing something wrong. Like if you look at something that you wrote or like a podcast you did like five, six, seven, eight, whatever years ago, it probably should embarrass you a little bit because hopefully your, your pace of learning is such that you're getting that much better over time. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, it's, it's quite interesting. I think for people that listen to my show, 
some people will actually go back to listen to like near the beginning, um, mm-hmm. which I don't recommend because that will take you many, many hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but they enjoy the, the process of seeing my own journey because at the beginning, for example, uh, when I was focused more on training and exercise versus business, um, I was always seeking the, as a lot of us do it, you know, in exercise, seeking the kind of magic bullets of how do I build as much muscle as possible. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly ectomorphic guy. I don't put on lots of muscle easily. And, um, you know, I was kind of trying to see, seeking the holy grail for that. And if you listen to a lot of my early episodes, it's like, you know, always trying to find the magic bullets, not kind of realizing that genetics were, you know, really going to play a big role in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then as you get further down the line, as you get to like the episodes in the hundreds, you can kind of start to see, I think my mindset mature around that. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not to say that I'm not open-minded, you know, if someone, I'm, I'm always open-minded to anyone who wants to try and change my mind if they've got a good argument or good evidence, mm-hmm. uh, of course. But um, it's just that I think I've become far more conservative in my um, view on, on what one can do in terms of muscle growth, just as one example. Um, so like, yeah, I agree with you. Like if you are obsessed with trying to be right, you're, you're just not even going to get started. Mm. Oh yeah. My mindset, my mindset is completely shifted in that, in that way. I have become way less rigid. And even one of the things I was thinking about that I've kind of been reflecting on earlier and kind of based on our conversation and your uh, high intensity style of training, which we can talk a little bit more about because I'm not too familiar, but I was just thinking how it's funny that a physiological thing like muscle growth, we put into such specific categories of like, you talk about specific lifts, you talk about specific volume. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're, you know, your, your body doesn't know that you're lifting weights necessarily. Your body doesn't know that you're doing the bench press and the incline press and yada, yada, yada. Like, it's funny how we group it in a such a specific thing when it's, it's such, there's so many different variables. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, I won't take credit for this because it's something I heard recently, uh, which is um, something that Dr. Doug McGuff said, who's one of the, the, the main people in high intensity training, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, just how much our body uh, negatively regulates hypertrophy. Like, mm-hmm. like muscle is really metabolically expensive for the mm-hmm. body. And it's like, it doesn't want you to have lots of muscle mass because it's not good for survival, mm-hmm. not beyond a certain threshold. Obviously we need muscle to, uh, you know, provide the fibers and, um, you know, support our nervous system and our bones and give us protection and strength and all of that. But beyond a certain point, it kind of ceases to provide a benefit. Yeah. Um, and it's ironic because the people that do get enormous muscles from training who are the outliers, um, those are the people that are coveted the most by everyone in the industry and mm-hmm. are, are, you know, when they are standout freaks. And if we actually were in a desperate situation where, you know, there was an apocalypse or something like that, then mm-hmm. those people would actually really struggle. Um, yeah. probably more so than it's, someone like myself. Takes a lot um, of calories to feed all that. <laughs> exactly. Which, which is fine. in in the abundance world we live in, but that's, that's what my mind kind of went to like, when, yeah, when you talk about our bodies not naturally wanting very much muscle, it's like back in our hunter-gatherer days, you know, the more muscle you had, the more food you had to find to feed yourself. So past a certain extent, you really didn't want that. So talk to me a little bit about the high-intensity training. I don't know too much about it uh, besides listening to a little bit of what Dorian Yates had to say. So I guess what are some of the key points and some of the main differences to how people are usually training? 
Yeah, so the way I would describe high intensity training is that, and the way it differs to traditional training. So if you think of traditional training would be, um, you know, using any modality, so body weight, chin-ups, push-ups, anything like that, uh, machines or free weights. So it's similar to traditional training in that all mod modalities are used uh, or can be used. Um, but where it differs is, is traditional training will tend to advocate multiple sets, uh, maybe typically three, sometimes more, maybe sometimes two. Um, and typically you will uh, not train to out and out muscular, momentary muscular failure, which just means you can't um, move the, if you're, if you're doing a chest press, for example, you can't move the load anymore and mm -hmm. you're just kind of contracting isometrically stationary. Um, and that's kind of what, what I would define as, as failure. Um, and, and so, but the thing is the, the, the end point is very similar. So with high intensity training, you're typically doing a single set to failure, right? Um, and the goal is to sequentially recruit all your muscle fibers. So as you start to exert force, you'll firstly recruit your slow twitch muscle fibers because obviously the force required is, is less at that point. Um, but as you, as you sequen sequentially recruit and start fatiguing fibers, um, it will start bringing in obviously the intermediate and the fast twitch. And then right at the end of the set, when you are all your muscle fibers are completely fatigued and you're really struggling, that's when the body will bring in the, the, the type twos, you know, the, the most, uh, the most powerful fibers you have, but they're only, mm -hmm. uh, but they're obviously the quickest to fatigue. So they only last for a very short amount of time. Um, and that's really the goal of high intensity training is to recruit the full spectrum so that you're sending a signal to the body to say, you know, we weren't able to continue producing force on this against this particular load and therefore we need to be stronger um, and more resilient and et cetera, et cetera, next time around. Now, mm -hmm. traditional training does very much a similar thing. You're just do it getting, you're getting there in a different way. Um, so if you're doing, let's say, just for argument's sake, three sets of 10, then by the third set, you're pretty much going to be close to failure. So yeah. both approaches um, achieve very similar outcomes. It's just, in my opinion, a single set is just a more efficient uh, way to get the same outcome. Mm -hmm. you know? um, it's not to say I only do uh, single sets. Sometimes I'll do multiple. Sometimes I'll do advanced techniques. So like a single set, for instance, followed by a negative only or followed mm -hmm. by assisted repetition if someone's training me or followed by a drop set or a rest pause rest pause just being you know you you do a set to failure you take a break 20 seconds and do another set to failure that's just a rest pause and so you know those are some of the, the similarities and differences between hit and traditional training um, I would also say that due to its intensity due to the fact that typically in hit, and again this is there are nuances and complexities but i'm just trying to keep it quite simple right, right. um so due to the level of intensity and in hit people will train less frequently than traditional people that train so um you know most people that do a multi-set higher volume approach um may train on average three times a week maybe four or five times a week whereas in high intensity training most people train once or twice a week um, yeah. and in, in in some extreme cases like three times a week maybe if they're doing like a split routine um but i guess the belief is you know well we we, we are training so intensely we're training to failure therefore we require more recovery in order to produce results mm -hmm. um 
And the last thing I would say, so I've talked about intensity, I've talked about frequency, and then the next thing is really um, uh, duration and sort of brevity of workouts. So the in high intensity training, typically workouts are lasting anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes. And I'd say the most common kind of uh, end time is probably around 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because you're doing single sets. So you're, you're training in that efficient manner. And typically, you're not having much in the way of a break between exercises. Uh, and also, there'll be less exercises overall. So, I mean, a typical high-intensity training workout will have maybe five to eight exercises, uh, mostly multi-joint and then some single-joint exercises. Um, Are you doing like so full, that, like, body? full body usually? Well, Overall, um, not necessarily usually. Uh, so some people might do a full body, uh, which would be anywhere from perhaps five to 10 exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, or some people do bodyweight split. You know, I'm currently doing a freeway split where I do like a push routine, a mm-hmm. pull routine, and a leg routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but each one of those has like, I'm, I'm quite a minimalist myself. So each one has like five exercises per workout. Yeah. So, so yeah. would is there people out there that, where my jump, my mind jumps to is, I don't think, I, I'm not myself discrediting anything, but I feel like someone might say, you're not getting the full benefit because you're not getting that volume in. So what's the reasoning there? And is there research behind it? And I'm just curious about that aspect. It's it's shocking volume, to me how much less volume is uh is encompassed. Well, the volume is a really interesting question because it sounds like there's less volume, right? Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I forgot to mention is that. Uh, high intensity training is typically done very slowly. Um, so the cadences differ uh, quite a lot versus traditional training. So um, the cadences are typically on the low end around maybe four second each excursion. So if you can imagine a four second positive and a four second negative, right? Sometimes they're 10 or even more seconds, right? And so even though you're doing a single set to failure, if you actually calculate the amount of time the muscle is under tension, it's actually often the same as if not greater than the multi-set trainees. Because if you think about yourself, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, Jake, you do perhaps multiple sets, right? Mm-hmm. You'll be doing, you'll be doing um, you know, one to two second excursions. Right? Yeah, so the time under so, tension kind of equates, I'm, I'm getting? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the, I don't know if a lot of the, I mean, I'm getting outside of my, I mean, again, I'm not the expert I, with my podcast. I would say I'm more the, shall we say, experienced facilitator um, mm-hmm. uh, and a very novice personal trainer myself. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, but I would argue that it would seem that the literature doesn't always do a good job of measuring those types of variables. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I think, a fair amount of controversy with some of the volume papers that mm-hmm. the likes of. Dr. Brad Schoenfeld published and James Krieger. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few few aspects of those that I think make it to be a still an inconclusive argument as to what is more effective. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the whole, you know, if you're looking for maximal hypertrophy, then yeah, perhaps more frequency and more volume is beneficial, right? Mm-hmm. But if it is, it's very, very tiny, in my opinion. It's like... Yeah maybe you're getting a few more percent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. There's also the idea that a lot of people just don't have the time to train that frequently. And mm-hmm. therefore, if we're trying to get more people doing exercise, it might be more effective to talk about the benefits of training 
infrequently and efficiently. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. I mean, you're, you're talking a lot about essentially like busy business people, it sounds like. Right. And so that's, that's huge right there. And even I think that people forget how many different variables there are in exercise sometimes. So it's like, let's say, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily true, but like, let's say we found out that this certain type of exercise was like 70 or 80% as effective as this other type, but it was like half, half the time. Well, you're talking about like a busy business person. Maybe they're like, well, I'll definitely take that because time is so important to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, and here's my, here's my other uh, unpopular opinion um, is that I think when you're doing strength training forever, right? Or for a lifetime, I shouldn't say forever, uh, which I think you and I probably will. Um, yeah, then, because obviously, you know, as I'm sure you know, it's, it's, it's such a incredibly effective way to maintain quality of life and mm-hmm. function. And you, you, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. So, you know, if you're training over a long enough period of time, and this isn't my, I didn't come up with this. This is why a friend of mine, uh, uh, Dr. James Steele, who I've had on the podcast, who's a researcher mm-hmm. on exercise. And he said, you know, his opinion was that kind of all roads lead to Rome with exercise. So if you're doing almost regardless of the weight training regimen, I say almost because if you're doing something that's very low intensity, then that could be an issue or like it's likely to be an issue. But I think where I'm kind of going with this is I think that a lot of these different protocols will kind of reach the same endpoint once done over a number of decades. Um, And then your genetics will kind of express themselves. You know, if you're an ectomorph, you'll you know put on x amount of muscle and then that'll be that and then you'll be like maintaining especially as you get into your 40s and 50s assuming Uh you're natural um and uh you know if you're a yeah if you're a if you're a a mesomorph then uh you're likely to gain a lot of muscle mass and and probably continue to gain as you train for over a longer period of time and it'd be quite noticeable and then eventually you'll peter out as well um so that's kind of where i'm at in terms of my thinking around this right now yeah. I think that the other most interesting thing that jumps to mind is, uh, like I was saying, I, I enjoy hearing a lot about how Dorian Yates used to train. I think he's just a smart all around guy just beyond bodybuilding. But I know one of the things he's mentioned a lot is that he, he always said that he had more of like a hardened look and like a grainy look when he was bodybuilding. And he attributes that to just the super high intensity and the short, the shorter, uh, sets and training and stuff like that just the fact that it was just very dense muscle i've heard him say a lot yeah i i, I don't know if i buy that really? <laughs> like i like i like dorian he's very likable um and he does say some interesting things and i enjoyed his stuff on london real tim ferris uh, on joe rogan um mm-hmm. uh, i i you always i always feel like you really have to be careful with advice you hear from people that are genetically gifted like him, yeah right and well, the fact and that he was exactly, steroids that's that, exactly what I was gonna say. yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say is the steroids that as well yeah and so um so people ask me like i will answer i will get to your point in a minute but people ask me like oh, you know what did you learn from dorian like what you know uh you know ask about like what how i feel about his training protocol and um I, I got to be honest, I, I, I'm not sure if I really paid too much attention mm-hmm. to Dorian's advice as it, uh, in, in relation to um, growing muscle and protocols because he's just operating on a different level in terms mm-hmm. of the genetic starting point, the drugs, all of that yeah, stuff. That's a good point. Um, and, 
and maybe I've become slightly um, just because of what I've learned through the podcast. I, I'm not sure if a lot of these other variables matter in terms of um, intensity, frequency, etc., as much as people like to think. Um, and yeah, so I, I take some of that stuff with a grain of salt. Like if I were a professional bodybuilder, and then that would be far more interesting to me because I would be having the same challenges Dorian was having. So, for mm. example. Uh, injury re- prevention and how to cycle steroids and stuff like that. He w- obviously would be a very useful person to talk to that stuff about, you mm-hmm. know, and because I'm not a professional bodybuilder, then, then it's not as interesting to me. Um, yeah. But going back to what you said about the grainy look, like I just wonder, like I'm very, I don't know much about this and I have had some conversation on a podcast about this. Uh, I, I wonder how much a role of, uh, the psycho- the psychological role plays in how we perceive our bodies. Oh yeah, I mean it's and everything. So, I, it's a huge part, at least. Yeah. So you know how much of that, how much of him thinking that was based on uh, his his just his the way he saw himself, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's a nice opinion, but it's not. If you're looking at it for a scientific lens, it's like well to really control for that, to really know if his training achieved that kind of look, you have to control so many variables. I mean, there's a placebo effect in there. There's all sorts. So personally, I don't find that, that kind of uh, observation very useful. I think is yeah. what, I, what I think about that. So. No, it's an interesting opinion. I think that it's just like I've said, the most fascinating thing to me is that everyone is so different and there's so many different ways, you know, that can work and be effective. I think that anyone would agree that you just have to be consistent and, you know, just work at it over time and you'll see results as, you know, as long as you're not doing something that's just totally ineffective and under recovering stuff like that. But it always, it reminds me of, of Arnold too. When you hear about him training, it sounds like it was always a ton of volume. Like he's always talking about how in like the pumping iron days, he was in the gym four or five hours a day. And it's just interesting how you hear those different, those different ways of, of thinking about how those guys went about it. But the other thing is when you talk about steroids, it's like people have to be mindful of that too. Is like their recovery is such that a normal person could never recover from the sorts of exercise that they were doing unless they were number one in the genetic half of a 1% or even less than that. And then two, using those steroids. So you always got to take it with a grain of salt, what those guys say. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, I would I think that, but the other thing that's kind of my pet peeve is I think that people kind of have the excuse of like, oh, these like top bodybuilders are on steroids, so it's not fair. And I just wish that people realized, you know, regardless of what your stance on using steroids is, like they're still working incredibly hard and they were they're working harder on their workouts than we could ever imagine. And I just don't like when people just kind of throw that steroids thing out there. Like it's like yeah. a magic pill. They definitely still were working incredibly hard. Yeah, completely. I, I never would, you know, if someone uh, takes steroids and is open about it, um, I would never take it away from them that they're not working half of their goals, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I agree with what you're saying. I think where I have a problem with steroid use is when people don't admit to taking them. Yeah. Yeah. The for problem, sure. The, the massive, there's a huge prevalence of people. Um, I would almost argue the majority of the Instagram models that mm-hmm. we all admire and revere, you know, who look incredible. It's like, well, how many of those are natural and, and, and how many of those are actually honest about it? um and we'd probably um, be surprised yeah that drives that that does really irk me because it's like you're not helping anyone you're just you're just creating you know you're, you're causing people to envy you 
mm-hmm. um, and really dislike themselves. And you're, you're, you're causing these really unfair comparisons. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're honest about steroid use, then that's great. And I will power to you and do your thing on Instagram. Like that's fine, but just be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I, that's a value, which I try and I try and have all the way through my podcasting, always mm-hmm. being honest with what's going on. So, yeah. It's just like we've already mentioned this before, but I think people can always see transparency and see honesty uh, when it when when it when it comes down to it. But that, I hope so. I was just uh, the other thing I was just thinking of is it's like that reminds me of another one of my big frustrations is it makes me think of the supplement industry when there'll be some guy that's done steroids for you know however many years and he'll be trying to sell you BCAAs or amino acids or this or that pre workout and it's like. Uh, that just seems very unethical going back to the honesty part of it yeah yeah completely uh i hate that too and uh you know if people want something that illustrates this really well just watch bigger faster stronger Mm -hmm. the documentary yeah i have seen that yeah there's some really good bits in that where you've got uh you know fitness models bodybuilders who are promoting certain supplements and then obviously concealing the fact that they're taking steroids and they're in incredible shape but how much of that is attributed to the steroid right and genetics Mm. um I mean, I have no problem with someone, you know, who does that stuff, doesn't use steroids. You don't have to say I've got superior genetics. I think, I mean, that's a gray, gray area a little bit because, um, you know, I I don't think it's necessarily their responsibility to say that. Um, but I do know one individual I really admire and and definitely encourage you and and your, your audience to check out his name is Jay Vince. Um, and he's a high intensity training, uh, trainer, but also a fitness model. He's a huge ball of muscle, so he's in great shape. Um, but he's very refreshing because he'll constantly talk about, um, to, he'll talk some real truth. Um, mm-hmm. and he'll talk about how he looks this way because of his parents, you know, and, and he'll be very clear with people and say, you will not achieve this look. It's very unlikely you will achieve this mm-hmm. look. You know, he, he posted a video on his Instagram recently where his sister had just given birth, you know, a few months ago and he took a picture of her stomach and she was like, had a ripped eight pack, you know, really? and it's like, wow. we'll revert to that, that leanness uh, and mm-hmm. strength. And then there's another video of her just doing CrossFit snatches around the same time. And it's just, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, they're out as absolute family of athletes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's very refreshing to me to see someone who is, uh, you know, looks like him who has enormous influence uh, and we'll continue to grow the influence being very raw. And again, to your point, authentic and honest. Yeah. With what they do. Yeah. Jay Vincent. Is that what you said? His name was? That's right. Yeah. J-A-Y. Okay. And Vincent, yeah. Okay. All right. So a couple more questions here as we wind down. Uh, you've talked a lot about honesty and transparency. What are some of the main things that you try to be as honest and open as possible about? And is there anything that going from your personal life to business that you just always prioritize being the most transparent about? I think, I think that something that's had a huge influence on me in the last couple of years has been Jordan Peterson's work. Uh, oh, I very much Peterson. Cool. Yeah. Very much enjoy 12 rules for life. Uh, loved his stuff on Rogan. Had to listen to it like 10 times before I understood any of it. Um, loved, lo- loved a lot of his YouTube stuff. And, um, to be honest with you, the telling the truth in all areas of my life has been one of the most profound changes I've made in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I consider myself a fairly honest person before that, but I've upgraded that. Like, you know, 
in a big way. You know, um, I've had some, you know, pretty big personal issues myself and being very honest about those um, in a number of different contexts was incredibly liberating and painful and uncomfortable and certainly had its consequences, but was the right thing to do in the long term. And I can sit here and tell you now that I have no dragons under my bed. You know, <laughs> I have yeah. no skeletons in the closet. Um, I feel very burdenless, if that is a word. Uh, and it's, very, it's a very nice feeling to have. Um, mm-hmm. And I could not say that about myself a couple of years ago. Um, and it was, it is, you know, I carried around a lot of anxiety. And that's mm-hmm. not to say I'm completely free of anxiety. I have anxiety for other reasons occasionally, mm-hmm. much like many, many of us. Um, but just just doing that has been has been huge. So, um, so so with that, I am honest with everything I do because I know that if again back to Jordan Peterson's philosophies, mm-hmm. and I know he obviously borrows from Young and people like that. He's so right when he talks about how if you lie, you're lying to yourself, mm-hmm. and if you lie too much, you will not be able to trust yourself, and you will hate yeah. yourself, and you will fall into a depression. And mm-hmm. that's hell, right? Literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like, that was like a really interesting epiphany and very valuable to me. And so, yeah, I try, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try and be honest in, in all my work. Um, obviously there are certain things that you, I probably wouldn't say on a podcast, not because I'm being dishonest, but because I wouldn't want mm-hmm. to reveal them publicly. And I think we yeah. all have things that that's a bit different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that only part answers your question, but um, can you remind me, like, what what was? The I don't know. Answer? I just, I just think it's. Oh, just saying, like, what are your biggest uh, things that you like to be the most transparent about? But I think it's interesting how a lot of times we we think that we're lying for someone else. But another thing that Jordan Peterson and guys like that mention is like, you're not doing someone else any good if you, you know, if you tell them white lies or lie for their sake. It's like let them tell the truth and let other people sort it out because, you know. And then the other thing that it made me think of is just being emotionally well. Like you talked about the fact that when you started being more honest, you felt better emotionally. And I think that the thing that's interesting is, you know, coming from being in the health and fitness industry, you can always tell when someone's physically healthy for the most part, but you can never tell how emotionally well someone is because we can be, you know, we can kind of lie in the sense that we cover up how we're feeling inside. And so I think that that's really cool too, that, it seems like these days more and more people are listening to people that do that sort of work. Jordan Peterson, I think it's Sam Harris too. I don't know if you are familiar with his work, but it's just, I think you feel emotionally so much better when you're honest. And then that trans that translates to all other parts of your life. Absolutely. hundred percent. And actually I thought about your other question. Um, I think one of the things I I think is really important and I've had people I've had people give me negative feedback on this, which I decided to ignore, mm-hmm. um, which is that I will be very open about my own struggles and challenges on my show, you know, mm-hmm. be it business, be it um, personal and, and, and uh, physical. So a really good example of this is again, when I was creating more content on hit in general, um, I did, a, I did an episode on, on bulking up, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think many of us in fitness have gone through phases where we've bulked up to try and gain a load of muscle, got really fat, leaned back mm-hmm. down again, felt too skinny, oh, yeah. bulked up, 
<laughs> I think that's common. Um, and uh, I did this very, very uh, inspiring podcast with Doug McGuff, I mentioned earlier. Um, and he shared a quite controversial, unpopular view on bulking up, which is that uh, rather than trying to count calories um, to uh, over the long term, and, and even in a, in, a, in a sense of doing it very gradual every day, he's like, mm-hmm. allow, the, allow your appetite to to reg- self-regulate so mm-hmm. you know if you if you if your body is looking to looking for more nutrition and, and is looking to put on more muscle mass then your appetite will align with that uh, mm-hmm. and then it's about eating the right things and um and that's obviously a very controversial view and i'm not sure if it's completely true um but during that episode i was very open about my own challenges with comments from friends uh you know self-esteem issues related to my own physique mm-hmm. um all of that stuff and you know it was obviously quite uncomfortable to share some of that but i think it's really important because there's so many people that share and occupy those same fears and those same insecurities mm-hmm. and by able by opening up like that it really helps people i think because they can then relate and then understand how to how to implement a solution to yeah. that. Um, yeah, I agree. yeah. And, and, you know, I, when I say people, I get negative feedback. It's like, you know, I've had people say to me, you need to put your flag in the sand, you know, like you need to be about this diet or about this diet or, mm. or about this training regimen. And I'm like, I guess I am with, in a way with hit, although I've talked about reasons it might be suboptimal on this show. Um, mm. But, you know, I don't know. I, if I don't know something, I'm not going to bullshit. You know, I'm not mm. going to, I'm not going to just make up my position. So, yeah, I think that even if, even if someone, no matter if someone admits it or not, I think that we all at a base level are very attracted to honesty. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why we talk a lot about Tim Ferriss. And one of the reasons I like him is because he's always been so honest about his struggles and about, it's just like you said, when he talks about writing, he's like, writing is such a tough process. And he's like, a lot of times I don't like what I write. And, you know, he battles all this anxiety and internal, internal turmoil. And I just love when people are honest like that. And I think that everyone's just naturally attracted to honesty, whether they admit it or not. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, a great value that everyone should hold dear in every aspect of their life. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I really enjoyed it. Now, I'll go ahead and ask my last question that I ask everybody on the show. And that is, we've kind of been getting into the philosophical range so hopefully that kind of primed you but i always ask what do you want to be your story at the end of the day as you look back and reflect on your life you know years and years down the road as it's coming to a close what do you want the story of yourself to be well that's a big question (laughs) uh all right i'll try my best i think i think i just want to be i want to be known as someone who's honorable I want to be known as someone who did the right thing by my family. Um, you know, like Jordan Pearson talks about being the, 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 the person who has their shit together at their father's funeral and yeah, looks yeah. after everyone. Um, so, you know, I, I, my mother passed away in 2015. And, uh, you know, this was pre, obviously, my uh, discovering of a lot of his work. Um, and you know, I, I didn't, I definitely did not keep my shit together during some of it, but I think overall I, I did a good job of being, uh, you know, a, a pretty stoic figure, um, mm-hmm. during that. And it's, it's trying to 
trying to maintain that and just improve on it and just be the person, you know, drawing the inevitable challenges and tragedies that we all have to go through as we grow up and raise families and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being the, you know, the, um, uh, the stoic, the, the controlled, the calm person who can look after everyone else. I think that's what I would like to be kind of known for mm-hmm. uh, in, my, in my kind of circle of, of friends and family um, mm-hmm. and the people that come in, come in contact with me. But I think in terms of my legacy, if you will, um, I would like to think that um, I just want to have a massive impact and mm. with the work I do. I just want my work to help as many people as possible um, in areas where I am passionate about because it just kind of makes sense to channel passion into uh, into those sort of niches, those places where I can really help people, be it in high intensity training and in, in, in fitness business. Uh, maybe in the future I'll do more kind of broadly personal development, maybe mm-hmm. something completely unknown. Um, who knows what I'll be up to in 10 years? I have no idea. Um, uh, but yeah, I would just like to leave a, a legacy of businesses that are, that are, you know, very, very valuable and just yeah. contribute a ton, of, a ton of value to the world. Yeah. Um, and then just yeah, be able to support my family, and that's it. I don't know. Again, yeah. it's probably a terrible answer, but that that's no, kind of good. You reminded <laughs> me of another. You were talking about some Jordan Peterson kind of things that he said in quotes, and it reminded me of another one of my favorites where he kind of talks about how essentially like life is very hard, and he'll never try to say that life is easier than it is. But he says that on the flip side, we're a lot stronger than we know. You know, so yeah, I think that's that that's, that's an interesting hard. perspective. Because he, uh, he, he can come across, he can come across quite. I think people who don't know him or don't consume much of his work think he's quite pessimistic. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he'll talk about being a suffering, and if you only look at stuff on the surface, and I can see how it can seem that way, but mm-hmm. I actually find him incredibly inspiring. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. because he says stuff like that, where you know it's like, yes, the world is terrible and there is suffering, but you are, you are stronger than it is bad. Mm-hmm. You know. Exactly. Uh, that is something to strive for. So that is very much what I'm, I guess, striving for. Yeah, so, yeah that's cool. Yeah. It sounds like we follow a lot of the same people in that sort of personal development realm. So that's you'll have to let me know if you ever go in more towards uh, some personal development literature and content and stuff like that because I'd love to uh, you yeah. know, learn more about it, maybe engage with you a little bit. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah that's about all the time we have. Do you want to end with where people can find you? Any closing thoughts you have? Yeah, uh, I guess best place to find me would be um, highintensitybusiness.com, which is the, the website where I help uh, fitness business owners who are passionate about high intensity training. Um, and you can find my contact details on their email, things like that. And I'm, you know, I, I'm in a place where email is manageable. So if you're interested or you want to say hi, just email me, uh, lawrence at highintensitybusiness.com and happy to have a conversation. Um, Pying thoughts. Okay, this is the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm not sure how useful it's going to be, but it's interesting because it's kind of related to what we've been saying. When it comes to training, I think it's very easy to get overwhelmed and confused by all of the information out there, all of the literature, which is conflicting and incomplete, all of the different messages, you know, all of the social media, blog articles, et cetera, et cetera, podcasts. Um, And so one thing I like to do is whenever I feel really overwhelmed by all stuff, I think to myself, you know, you want to just make sure that you remember the key principles of exercise. So again, talking about exercise specifically, 
lift heavy things a couple times a week, right? Eat a whole food diet, mm-hmm. get plenty of sleep and have some kind of stress management uh, protocol, be it like meditation or something like that. Yeah, and if sure. you're doing those four things, I think you are going to be better off than 99% of the populace. Absolutely. And you, so that so whenever i get really bogged down by minutia i just remember that those are the broad strokes that are the most important Mm -hmm. awesome all right lawrence thanks for coming on today and uh hopefully we will continue to stay in touch in the future absolutely thank you very much having me really enjoyed it this has been the what's your story podcast I'm Jake Parker. I hope you enjoyed the show and will tune in again next time. If you're so inclined, please send this episode to a family member or friend you think might enjoy it. And it would really be awesome if you could rate, review, and or subscribe to the podcast. It sure helps me out a ton. Thanks.